What is Gucci, everybody? I hope you're all having a great day. It is Saturday, June 4th, and I've had a great day. This week went by really well. I just burned myself on the stove actually cooking burgers. I decided to touch the plate, which was so dumb. And now I see the bruise coming in as I stop icing it. But that is, that's what you have to do. And the pain has substantially subsided. But I was going to make this video with some actual content and talk about some books I love and my goals for the future. So in this video, I'm going to try to make it 30 minutes, but I'm going to go over some great books that I can help people in self-improvement and things that I've noticed about myself that have really helped me in this past week, actually, just trying to stay on what I call the narrow road, or many people call it the narrow road, the road less traveled. Let's start off with one of my favorite books that I actually, it's probably one of the first books I actually read as a kid that was educational. They made me read it in high school as a summer reading project, but I loved it. It was called Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers. He writes a lot of books like this, but he does extensive research into how things essentially happen. And in this, in this book, he categorizes certain groups of people who have made it highly successful, the richest people, the best people in a sport, the best people in a situation, to having been the benefactor of things beyond their control. And that's why they are able to rise above everyone else. Why are they able to be the best in their industry, that they benefit from things that people who just work hard do not benefit from. Something he talks about in the book is the fact that Steve Jobs and Bill Gates both have very, very similar birthdays. I believe they're both born in 1957, with Steve Jobs being a little bit older. And what he talks about is that the reason because being born that year is so important is because when you're 18 years old in 1975, when basically the first microprocessor comes in, you're going to be a huge benefactor of that. And because you're 18, you can see the potential in that and drop out of college or, you know, start a business. And he makes the argument that if you're too young, when something big happens that you can take advantage of, you're too young to take advantage of it. You're too small. You don't have the resources. If you're too old, it's possible that you could be stuck in the mud. You could be married, so you don't have to take any risks. Or you're, you're already in a present situation. You're in a more stable situation which you're not able to delete, to take, to get rid of. You could be in college. Of course, both of these founders are famous for not graduating college, as many people think that they don't need to go to college. And I do think in today's culture, with the internet, if you want to learn anything, and with how some businesses are going just to teach people things, if you want to learn something, the material is out there, and you just have to go learn it. And that's what's awesome. Okay? So that is a book I really like reading. All his books are good. David and Goliath, it talks about how people people think, you know, you have a huge advantage in something, but really a lot of advantages are rode away sometimes. One thing he talks about in that book, I'll quickly mention this story I really like, is that Malcolm Gladwell talks about class sizes and that a lot of parents, they crave for a small class size so their kid presumably presumably gets the most attention from their teacher. You know, if you could have a, you, 
If you could have a one-to-one -one teacher to student ratio, that would be great. And anything over 30 or close to 30 is kind of bad. Well, what Malcolm Gladwell challenges this ratio is that it's actually a bell curve where pretty much the sweet spot between a student class is anywhere from 18 to 24. And the reason he makes this argument is because if there's too few people in the class, kids are scared to raise their hand. They may not, you know, they may not have many friends in the class either. So if you have a class of six people, you know, uh, someone is probably going to be doing a lot of the heavy lifting with, you know, raising their hand, reading, the, reading out loud, and doing a lot of things. And this other students may not want to do it as much. Also, with a lot less people to work with, the students may not be able to find a friend. And that's something that's often overlooked in school, is that in school, you know, especially at a young age when you're growing, a lot of things can happen. You can meet that bully who messes up your life and makes you think that you're worthless. You can meet that best friend for the rest of your life who you die next to. You can meet potentially your future wife or a girlfriend who teaches you a lot about life. You know, a lot of these things can happen, and really, it's almost up to luck. It's almost, oh, they sat next to me in class one day, and you just kept talking. Well, that's another reason why having basically a medium-sized class of 18 to 24 is nice. But the reason because he sticks with 18 to 24 is that 18 and 24 are both easily divisible, divisible by numbers 2, 3, and 6. So you can easily make class groups with them so that's cool so and projects are a big deal because if anyone knows you go work in the world a lot of things are made in teams you know a lot of big things you do the computer i'm on now is made with a team companies are made in teams it's not a solo effort like athletics okay oh another book on stoicism the obstacle is the way by dr drew pinsky and that, this book I really like, it's basically essentially about how the hardest thing you need to do is the thing you need to do. It is the imperative. Whenever you're asking yourself what you should do, you need to think about the thing that mostly challenges you. Hey, I don't know how to start a company. That's what you should do. That's the obstacle. Hey, I don't know how to speak a foreign language. I've always struggled in this area. That's the thing you should gravitate you, even though it's the hardest thing, because through that through that obstacle is the most change. That's when you learn about yourself. That's when you become a better person. And that's how he, he looks at he looks at a lot of people who've challenged themselves in their life, like Rockefeller, Thomas Jefferson, and a lot of Stoics. And a Stoic is somebody who tries to see things for, for as he is and keeps calm amidst, amidst a lot of confusion and frustration. Uh, so an example would be, you know, if an explosion happened on a ship, and the ship was sinking, instead of running around and trying your best to maybe, you know, find a flotation of ice, you calmly walk forward and save some food, save your baby, and, you know, save some materials that you're thinking of in the long run because you'll be in the sea for a while that you need. So that's something to think about. And that is, that's another book that I was actually, um, someone told me to read. But... Another great book is The Inner Game of Tennis by W. Timothy Galway. Galway. I will have all these in a description, hopefully. And if not, well, just look them up. The Inner Game of Tennis. So, 
the inner game of tennis essentially goes through, it's another stoicism book. It's another way of just thinking about approaching things in life. It is about tennis. He is a tennis coach, but it's not, it's all about mindset. So it isn't about tennis. It's just he, you, all the examples he uses in the book is how he approached tennis through his mindset. And essentially what he says is you have two selves. You have self one and self two. Self one, he doesn't put it in much terms like this in the book, but self one I like to think of as the ego. It's the thing that wants to get the pre that wants to live in the mo moment or wants to live in the past or present. Sorry, self one wants to live in the past or future. Self two wants to live in the present. So basically, when you you're in a sport or you're in a competition, self one and self two are struggling to take control of your mind. And so when you let self one, the past and future self, get a hold of you. You're losing, essentially. And this is because you're thinking of, if you're thinking of a past result, maybe you're thinking of a time you won, you think this will be easy and you let your guard down. Or you're thinking, oh, this will be really hard and you start demoralizing yourself. You say, oh, there's no way I can win. But if you live in the present, let's say you're down, um, you're down by 100 points in basketball. But if you live in the present... When you have that one possession, you're just you're just thinking about scoring that one basket. You're just thinking of going from zero to two. You're not thinking of scoring zero to one hundred. That's what self one would do. It'd say, "Oh, there's no way I can win." You would just live in the moment. You would score, and then self two would say, "Okay, now I have to stop them on defense." And you would simply just live in that moment. You'd say, "Okay, I'm down a hundred, but I can come back just by taking the little steps." And so I do, I do agree with that little step that great athletes live in the moment where. They're not letting, you know, maybe the momentum shift or any anything crack them in a way. You know, they understand that just as easily as they built this lead, it can be depleted. And just as easily as they lost this lead, it can be regained back. And so that is a great book. He has some, the last two chapters are really good where he talks about his personal life and almost dying and being out in the freezing cold and what he sees for the personal development industry. Another book I read recently is a relationship book. Well, I don't know if it's a relationship book, but it's a great story. It's a by a man named Neil Strauss. It is called The Truth. And this is a true story, allegedly. No, it's the life of Neil Strauss. He's a journalist. And it's how what he learns about relationships. And essentially, he cheats on his wife. No, he, he cheats on his girlfriend, Ingrid, at the time, and with his best friend, and he feels really sorry about it. But then he starts to question the more deeper, the deeper insides of his life. And essentially what happens is he logs in at a sex clinic, a sex addict clinic, and says, I'm a sex addict. You know, I don't think, I think I would have cheated on anyone. I just don't care about any woman or anyone that personally I would hurt anybody. And he goes on this journey to figure out why he would do that essentially. And essentially he figures out a big conclusion is the book of the book is that a lot of people try to shape relationships like their parents' relationships, like they saw their parents grow up. So if they grew up in an abusive relationship, a lot of times an abusive relationship with their mama and papa, they try to inflict the same thing on themselves as adults because that's what worked. Now, they may not think, oh, this is good or this is bad, but that's what they saw growing up. That's what's most ingrained into your mind is the relationship you saw your mom and dad have. That's the greatest imprint you have of love. And so 
for most families, I would think that a kid who's adopted and never saw his parents may think something massively, massively different and may have other barriers to overcome. But that's essentially the thing. Anyone with two parents seeing them messed up, you know, seeing two parents get divorced as a kid may think, you know, love's not possible and eventually it all ends. But the truth is, is again, is that everyone's different and everyone has their own setbacks and barriers to overcome. And that's the hard part about relationship is accepting somebody, accepting somebody for who they are. And that's what real love is. Real love is choosing to love, not being loved. And he has a lot of great quotes in the book. And it's about his journey. He actually does a lot of interesting things. Um, he doesn't, th he, after cheating on her and going to the sex clinic, he first doesn't reach this conclusion. He tries all these different things. He tries a brothel house where he lives with seven guys and seven girls. And, you know, they all have fun together. And he also, he has a poly polyamorous relationship where he lives with three women at the same time. And he tries all those different things before realizing, I'll let you read the end of the book, but before realizing the truth, which is why it's called The Truth. Oh, another book for personal development, I'm going everywhere here, is Bulletproof Diet by David Asprey. He talks a lot about how to eat and how to work out properly and basically the science of how you think about food is totally wrong. If you know anything about paleo, it's very close to paleo. He basically says, hey, you should have a high fat, high protein diet, very low carb. And that carbs have taken over our industry because they're cheap and they can be made as healthy because low fat is seen as a good thing. But anything with a lot of sugar is very bad. Uh, I could, he makes the argument that sugar is one of the worst things ever. My mom is calling. Okay, everyone, I am back. Had to talk to my mom and my friend. So David Asprey talks about the fact that sugar is bad, would be especially refined sugar. Another thing that he opened me a lot to is, that he opened me about to is the quality of food that you eat. So the most important thing you do is obviously eat, or the most important thing you put in your body is what you eat. You drink it, and he talks a lot about how it's essential to care about quality of the quality of food you eat, and that matters a lot. That's one of his big arguments. So he talks about how you should eat grass-fed meat. You should make sure it's grass-fed. You should try to eat organic as possible, because by the time some of these foods you eat, these meats, while as all natural good for you when they're so chemically mixed they're not so good anymore and that's what Dave Asprey talks about and he also gives you a lot of ways to start the bulletproof diet and he also opened my eyes to the fact that if you want to lose fat you want to eat well you only want to work out if you want to gain muscle get stronger but you can lose all your fat from just eating correctly your body will get rid of the fat for you if it's a normal body let's see another book I like is actually is she comes first which is a funny book which is actually basically a book that teaches you how to properly eat a woman out and it goes into a lot of detail into what women like and that a lot of a uh, big a big fact that goes off on is that um, a lot of women like masturbation just as much as penetration and so it's an interesting thing to think about and it also goes over you know how you can be better in bed. Who knew? That's all I'll say on that. I hope you enjoyed that for our listeners. Let me know if you like that segment. So let's see. Another book I like, okay, is 
The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. It is another self-improvement book. It's another psychology book, which essentially goes into how you think of yourself in certain states of your life. So if you don't, if you let your ego take hold of you, you do not have power in the now. You are not just living in the now, having fun and being your best self. You know, if you're not present, you can't fully enjoy a moment. Something I recently did a lot is I listened to my headphones a lot and I would just forget about all these things. And if a big noise happened, I'd be like, what is that? And so I stopped listening to my music all the time and actually would walk places and just enjoy, you know, how sunny it is outside and all the nice things about the world that you can possibly see. And that's what is pretty awesome. But Eckhart Tolle, it's a lot about just the journey he found into finding himself and how he kind of sees things in this world. And it's a really cool view, and he's not trying to make money or put any religious beliefs on you, but it can come off as that in the beginning, but he's just telling you this is what I believe. Hmm, let's see. I bought YouTube Strategies 2015, which is from my YouTube channel. And that's actually going to call it. I will make another. I will make another podcast later. But that's basically it for this podcast, guys. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you check out some of the books. I'll try to have them all in the description or all on my website, ajnorden.com. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode, and have a great day. Bye.